As we go through this season of uh, death and dying and reflection on it, uh, I'm letting the readings lift up some themes that we might reflect on uh, around that. And the one that arises for me is an acknowledgement of our fear around death and the comfort that surrounds it. Maybe you caught the, the tenor of the Psalm 27 of, of this kind of surrounding in the midst of our feel, fear and being assailed and all these components. Even in our first reading, some of the first words are, do not fear, Abraham. You know, you think you will have to figure all this out. And God is saying, I've taken care of it. You know, your, your uh, offspring will come from your own self and he is brought into ceremony to mark that realization. And then, of course, in our gospel reading, Jesus is bold and badass. Tell that fox who wants to kill me, I'm busy. <laughs> I don't have time to die. And in fact, I'm not going to die here. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die where the prophets are supposed to die. You know, and, <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> um, I wonder how the Pharisees felt when they uh, encountered that. And so this fearlessness in the face of death. And Jesus is particular. Don't worry about comparing yourself to Jesus. That's usually not a good thing to do when you're interpreting the scriptures to say, well, he's like this, I should be like that too. Um, that's usually not a good line of interpretation to engage the scriptures. Um, we can usually align ourselves to the Pharisees, to the disciples, to the crowd, these others that are around him. But he's, he's pretty particular. Um, unless you have had at your baptism heaven break open and God's voice say, you are my beloved child, uh, you know, <laughs> unless you have spent 40 days in the wilderness uh, fighting against Satan, unless you have been about healing and this sense, growing sense that you are the chosen Messiah. I mean, be wary of that one. That's a, that's a dangerous one, but we usually stay away from Jesus. And so he, uh, and he even seems to encounter fear in its own place and be real about what's going on in him. For us, usually when we encounter death uh, in ourselves, in someone else, Fear is not an uncommon place to be. Um, we know there are all kinds of emotions that come up as we, as we think of death. And, uh, and so it's worth thinking about, a little bit about our approach to death. What is our uh, attitudes towards death as we come to that? When you think of your own death, have you thought of your own death? What, what emotions arise for you? Uh, we were at a family event and someone said they had been thinking about their death from grade three on. It was kind of part of their system. I'm not someone who goes there so quickly. Uh, I found it helpful in the spiritual exercises uh, that I, I did. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a meditation on your own death and that was helpful to me. It was the first time I think I'd really been like, yeah, how, how would that happen? How do I actually imagine that would be? And in a place of prayer and, and reflection, that was a good, some of you might need to do that. Set aside some time and 
because you don't go there easily. Others <laughs> go there so easily, and at the drop of a pin, you're, you're thinking about your death or someone else's death, and you might need uh, some other practice in the midst of that. It's that common phrase, you know, the, the promise is not to be without suffering, but that we will not be alone. And throughout the scriptures, throughout this good news of Jesus that we encounter, there's that sense of even in death, God is with us. Um, for me, that's one of the central gospels of the, the death and resurrection as we come to Easter, that, that God's love is stronger even than death. That as we face these things in ourselves, um, we, we do not need to be afraid, but even in our fear, God is with us and goes to the, to the depths of that. Sometimes we get in funny places as Christians where we kind of lay a burden on one another and say, you're a Christian, you should not be afraid. And it's a heavy should that we, we lay on someone else. Um, you know Jesus. He died and resurrected. You should not have these feelings. Um, and, and that is rarely, if ever, helpful in, in our living out of Christian life. Um, it is much more helpful to be in a place where we can acknowledge our fear and yet understand that we are not alone there. Um, to be real with ourselves, to, to strip the veneer off and be honest and human because it was a human that, uh, that God has saved. Um, when we are simply a veneer, there is nothing God can do with that and usually what no one else can do. Uh, but in our authenticity, we can meet God. In our true person, we can meet God as God is. And so to be very okay if we are in fear around death, if we are in anger around death, uh, if we are just in total denial, don't even want to look at it, about death, to be real there and, and invite God into that conversation. Dan Ash would often say, who do you need to talk to about that? Um, not that you need to change, but to bring those thoughts into conversation with God. God, I am so scared of my death. Where does that come from? God, I am so angry about this other person's death. Can I talk to you about that? We know Jesus went off often to pray, and I'm going to guess that he brought those kinds of things into conversation with his heavenly Father. This is what's going on in me. People are asking me all these things, <laughs> and I don't know what to say to them. How, how would you have me go about this? And, and that can be such a transformative space that allows us to deal with the real things that are within us and, and move ahead in a, in a good way. So I think our readings invite us into that place. Jesus was real with the Pharisees about he, how he felt about death and about his business. Um, we can be real about how our death is. When I thought of uh, people who are engaging death head on, I thought fairly quickly of a lady named Heather Shantz, who just died in February. Um, she was diagnosed uh, with cancer a while before then, but in her life for 20 or 30 years, she was a palliative care nurse and, and consult. And so she had been around death her whole career, 
and then it landed with herself. And so I have a short video um, where she's kind of telling that story a bit of how those connect for her. Um, and uh, before we get there, though, I have some words from her daughter that are reflecting on, on her life and, and what her story was. And we were, I showed this at the 8 a.m., and, and we were reflecting, you know, um, perhaps the major point is that we all approach this differently. That we all approach our own death, other people's death, differently. And Heather acknowledges that. Uh, we also acknowledge at the 8 a.m. that Heather exemplifies her own way of approaching dying. And so she was very organized and planned and guaranteed not all of us will be there. Probably not all of us need to be there in the same way Heather was. So as much as she provides some reflection for us, um, it's maybe worth clarifying. I'm not holding her up as this is how you should be. <laughs> but, uh, but she's articulate about her death in a way that most people aren't and brings a, a perspective to it that is helpful. Uh, we're, we've been close to the process. Um, Megan especially is close to her, her daughter, Marianne. Marianne will actually be with us on the 29th. That's one of the Tuesdays to, to speak to us about palliative care because um, apparently Marianne had such a good experience of knowing about palliative care through her mother that she is now working not as a palliative care nurse but in communication in, in that work. So, so we'll have Marianne to come and share a bit about that uh, with us. So this was, this was a Facebook post that Marianne put up entitled, Final Gifts. Two of the most important aspects of my mom, Heather Shantz's life, were her work as a palliative care nurse and her deep Christian faith. And these were integral to the way she lived her life following her diagnosis with metatastic cancer three years ago. My mom firmly believed that death is not the worst that can happen to us, that death is part of life. And rather than resent what she was losing, she cherried, cherished what she had. Her openness in talking about death was a gift to her family and friends, helping to prepare us for what was to come and enabling us to say what we wanted to say before she died. My mom saw many pa patients who resisted palliative care because of misperceptions about what palliative care can offer. One of the first things mom did following her diagnosis was request palliative care because she knew it would give her access to specialists who could manage her symptoms and provide physical and emotional support as she lived with cancer. As a result, she experienced tremendous support from palliative home care and eventually hospice care, and we as her children did too. Mom was also an advocate for advanced care planning. And not only did she make sure to appoint a healthcare decision maker and share her wishes with us, she planned her funeral and purchased her cemetery plot as well. I teased mom about this at the time. You can write your own obituary, but it doesn't mean we're going to use it. We did. I thought it was something she did for herself because she was a planner. It was only yesterday that I realized the gift was for her children. We spent a surprisingly enjoyable day making final arrangements at the cemetery where she will be buried, 
with a beautiful view of the Rockies west of Calgary and at the funeral home where the funeral director shared the story of meeting my mom three years ago. I have worked in this field for 20 years, he said, and have never met a person as well organized as your mom. There was so little left for us to do, and mom knew that this would ease our days after her death. None of this diminishes how much I miss my mom, especially her absolute delight in her grandchildren, her deep pride and constant support of her children. I know there are many times I will reach for the phone to call her and be stopped short at the realization she is gone. We will do our best to ensure her love of music, card games, telling family legends for the hundredth time lives on in our family. Although my mom only lived three years of her life in Nova Scotia, it was her ancestral home and the place her family returned most summers as a child to visit her extended family. One of her big regrets was having to cancel the trip she had planned to the Maritimes with granddaughter Charlotte for the summer of 2020 due to COVID. But she passed on her love of Anne of Green Gables to Charlotte and her love of seafood to George. How many eight-year-olds say clam chowder is their favorite food? And I hope to take a family trip to the Maritimes in her honor in the near future. Thank you, Mum, for these gifts and so many others. So I've got a video that Heather put together herself, uh, kind of telling her story and reflecting on her work. And then I included uh, from her final days a video uh, of what happened when she was moving from home to hospice. And I don't know uh, if I've ever heard a story of kind of uh, a ceremony and celebration of this move from home to hospice. They, they drove past the hospital where she used to work and all her colleagues had lined up and they drove by so they could all greet her as, as they uh, made their way to hospice. Um, she actually died in the hospice my grandmother died at, which was a lovely... We don't have anything quite like it in Edmonton. It's, it's a homey, it's a brick building, this place you can eat. It's a lovely space where she was, uh, and I think she worked there as well for, for part of her time. So you'll notice how they, how they are as they're facing this transition. And so Sherry, we can start that video now. I was feeling stressed, driving through a new neighborhood, the GPS leading me astray. As I rushed to find the right apartment, the patient's husband called to me from their patio door. His wife was sitting on their couch, visibly unwell. One son sat across from me with his dad, while the younger one ran in and out of the room. As we visited, I realized that they were invested in a miraculous outcome. Knowing that her prognosis was short, I tried to give them resources that would offer support, but I could tell that they were not going to follow up. I tried to engage in a discussion about goals of care, but we were on very different pages. Eventually, I said, you know, it is wise for all of us to prepare for the worst at the same time as we hope for the best. The husband looked me in the eye and forcefully said, 
we will never prepare for the worst. In my 17 years as a clinical nurse specialist on the palliative care consult service, I had never encountered a more assertive objection. When I left, I wondered if I had done the right thing. Should I have been more emphatic or forceful? Did I fail that family, those kids, by not convincing them to prepare for her death? Six months later, I received my own palliative care consult from a physician I had worked with closely. Neither of us was expecting much. I immediately started planning the end of my life in the way that I thought was right. My goals of care document was on the fridge. I met with my minister to plan the funeral and paid for everything. I bought a cemetery plot. I started creating memory boxes for my grandchildren. I decluttered 20 years of stuff from my house. I started planning as many family get-togethers as I could. And I began writing a blog to keep people updated. I did everything exactly how I had counseled others in my situation. I felt good about it, and people noticed. One day I received an email from a friend suggesting that I did not have to always be so positive about my situation. It was clear that she thought I was trying too hard to live up to a certain ideal and was not expressing how I truly felt. I sat looking at the computer screen, reflecting on her reaction. I had written on my blog about the grief I felt in knowing that I would not be able to watch my grandkids grow up, and my regret about the burden my children would experience. But the activities that helped me prepare for my death were actually positive and pleasurable for me. I wanted to live as well as I could until the end, and I thought I was. Was I angry? Over the years, I had many patients who were younger than me. It never occurred to me to ask, why me? I thought, why not me? No, I wasn't angry, and I didn't like the suggestion that I should be. Sitting there at my desk, I realized that in my own nursing practice, I was right to allow people to walk their end-of-life journey in their own way even while I offered them the opportunity to make other choices. Preparing for the worst did not prevent the best from happening. And it is affirming to know that the advice I have been giving patients has been valid in my own life. I feel more than ever that there is no one best way to die. We need to be there to support people on their own path. <laughs> Aww. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Hi. Love you all. <laughs> Aww. Oh, it's so 
good to see everybody. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh. oh, thank you. I love you all too. So many memories when I see see your face. See your faces. We love you, Heather. We love you so much. Oh, thank you. It's, I love you. I, you yeah, been working with you was a joy of my life. It was a joy of our life. Uh, We're here because of you, Heather. Thank uh, you, Heather. Kathy, uh, on your knees, on your re I don't believe it. On your new knees. She's doing high kicks. Uh, Enjoy the bathtub in Rosedale, Heather. Yeah, I will. I can hardly wait. <laughs> uh, oh, what a joy. It's hard to believe. Just briefly, you can see how Heather's career impacted her attitudes towards death. And we can think of all kinds of things that influence our attitudes. How it was with your family, what your culture is. There are some very different cultural approaches to death. Um, I, I had a student at seminary where her family uh, was, they were in Crete. And uh, it was like the kid's job to participate in like the embalming um, and this very hands-on uh, involvement in, in death. And so our cultural attitudes approach to that. And then, of course, our personality, how we just are. Uh, and so I'd invite you simply to reflect on those things and give that some thought. What are your attitudes towards death? Where do they come from? Uh, faith, culture, personality background, family, all these components, and bring those to God, and bring those to prayer. Um, I want to say, especially as we go through death and dying, I know that can bring some things up, and if you ever need to talk to me, uh, I'm, I'm always here. Uh, bring these things into prayer with God, and let it be an invitation to, uh, to let God carry you and comfort you in these times. <laughs>